May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. The stories we tell do matter. They shape our worldview, our conscience, our life. Listen to this one. Before there was anything, there was Apsu, the sweet water sea, and Tiamat, the salt water sea. When these two seas mingled, they created the gods Lachmu and Lachamu, who rose from the silt at the edge of the water. When Lachmu and Lachamu joined, they created the great gods Ansha, Kisha, and Anu. From this generation of gods, there arose mighty Ea and his many brothers. Ea and his brothers were restless. They searched over the waters day and night. Neither Apsu nor Tiamat could get any rest. So Apsu decided the only way to have some peace was to destroy Ea and his brothers. But Ea heard of his plans and struck him down first. Tiamat was furious that her mate was killed and she began producing great and ferocious monsters to slay Ea and his brothers. Poisonous dragons, demons, serpents. Meanwhile, Ea and the goddess Damkina created the great god Marduk. The gods told Marduk of Tiamat's advancing army and asked him for help. I will fight for you, promised Marduk. But after the war is over, I shall rule the universe on high. The gods agreed, and Marduk rode into battle. The sea waters of Tiamat swirled together and formed a fearsome dragon. But then Marduk let one of his arrows fly, and it cut her neatly in half. Tiamat's monsters trembled as she died. Marduk raised half of her body to the heavens to form the sky, and the other half formed the earth. Then he decided to create a creature that could serve the gods and bear the burdens of hard work looking after the earth. Marduk first created a structure from bone left over from the bones of the dead monsters from the war. Then he formed the flesh around it and breathed life into it. Man took up residence on earth while the gods ascended to heaven. Thus the gods were freed from eternal labor. This is a short version of the Babylonian creation myth, Enuma Elish. It is a story about a power struggle in a highly dysfunctional divine family at the dawn of time. A story that explains the origin of the world, 
and also why the world is the way it is. And the bottom line is that the universe is a dead goddess and human beings, we, were made from murder, from the leftovers of a massacre, infused with the breath of a murderous tyrant, created to be the god's slaves forever, doing their dirty work. It does make sense, doesn't it? When you look around in the world today and consider the history of humankind, there seems to have been murder and violence from the very beginning. It is in our bones. This is a very Marduk-like world. Of course, the language is mythical and symbolical, but we recognize the powers of rivalry and hate and anger that seem to make the world go round. The culture, the nation that produced this myth was the nation that overpowered the people of Judah and Benjamin in the 6th century before Christ. Their armies destroyed the temple and the holy city of Jerusalem and brought the inhabitants of the land back with them to live in exile in Babylon. It was indeed a violent and cruel nation. Their gods had taught them well. For God's people, exile was a kind of shock therapy, a big wake-up call. It was not as if they suddenly found themselves in a religious and cultural setting that was completely alien to them. They were familiar with the gods of the ancient Middle East. They had worshipped them with enthusiasm themselves, offering sacrifices to Baal, the Canaanite version of Marduk, prostituting themselves for Asherah and burning their children to please Moloch. So you think they feel quite at home in Babylon. But here is the miracle, the absolute victory of the grace and faithfulness of God. The people of Israel had fallen into a pit of their own making. In a way, they had descended into hell. And they had discovered that the stories we tell, the stories we live by, do matter and can lead to our death. But there, finding themselves far from God, far from the promised land, they returned to their own tradition, to their own creation stories, both of them, that had been told and retold and passed on through many generations. They dusted them off, they wrote them down, in stubborn defiance of the stories that defined the world around them. And theirs was a story of creative love, of light and life and original blessing. And with it they rejected and defied the God that had poisoned them with his breath, that had destroyed their land, their temple, their holy city, their identity, that had captured and enslaved them. Exile did not cause further assimilation, as you might have expected. 
Somehow it restored their identity as the set-apart covenant people. And in the midst of captivity, they returned to the freedom of the children of God. What a contrast between Enuma Elish and the creation stories from Genesis. The first is full of hate and violence, rivalry and destruction, and life on earth is a result of war and bloodshed. Human beings are created to be slaves, and besides that, the gods want nothing to do with them. The Genesis stories, by contrast, are full of life and light. Everything has its origin in God's love and goodness. There is beauty and joy and companionship in God himself and between God and the human beings he creates. And he creates them not as his slaves, but as his friends and his co-workers. He doesn't send them out into the wilderness to break their backs in trying to make a living. He gives them a garden to live in, to care for, to enjoy. It's all there when they are awakened, the good life as a gift of grace. A garden full of the divine presence where God walks with his creatures as one does with a friend. He meets them in their dustiness. Adam means the earth creature and enters into this intimate relationship with them. Like Marduk, the God of Israel too, breathes life into the earth creature he has made. But what a difference. Marduk infused his creatures with violence and hate and then distanced himself from them. The God of Israel breathes us into life, into a life to be lived in loving communion. His breath is like a lover's kiss, the kiss that confirms, I want to be with you forever. It transforms us into spiritual beings who can live in close relationship with him. It transforms us into God's co-workers sharing his creativity and his responsibility to order the world with love and respect. People who create a safe world for men and women and children, a world where animals are respected in their own right and with them the whole natural world. It is significant that in this second creation story, the covenant name of God is being used for the first time. In the Hebrew text, there is the sacred name Yahweh, and wherever you see in the Old Testament translations the word Lord capitalized, that is where the Hebrew text has this sacred name. And it is a name that refuses to be pinned down to a specific meaning. Over the centuries, people have tried to translate and explain it. I am who I am, the God who is, the faithful one. It's all just attempts. There is always something in the name of God that eludes us, 
Some Jewish commentators have pointed out that the name Yahweh, when pronounced correctly, sounds like a breath, like somebody inhaling and exhaling. And that is what God wants to be for us, our life's breath. As intimate as that, as mysterious as that, as uncontrollable as that. By breathing into our nostrils, he shares his very life, his very identity with us. He infuses us with his own name. We are because he is. He looks at me and says, I am. And I look back at him and say, I am. And then we smile at each other in loving recognition. Jewish people will never say this holy name out of reverence. And consideration for the Jewish people was a valid reason for Bible translators not to use it in their translations. But given what I've just said, Sorry, I miss, suddenly missed part of my sermon. <laughs> I have to organize myself. Yeah. But given what I've just said, you may agree with me that using a capitalized Lord instead is a most unfortunate alternative. Sound as fleeting, mysterious, intimate as a breath, a name that is a mystery in itself has been replaced by a concept that everybody can understand. Lord, with all that is conveys of power, ownership, masculinity, dominance and distance. So I myself have begun to read I am for every capitalized Lord. Like Yahweh, you can almost breathe it and I encourage you to try it yourself and pay attention to how it changes your perception of the text. Because we have to do everything we can to emphasize the fact that God is not at all, not in any way, like the Marduks of this world. Of course, no one believes in Marduk anymore as a mythical figure. But the world in general is still very much governed by everything that he represented. The principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness in the high places, to quote the letter to the Ephesians. They always seem to win, to have the last word. And it's so easy to become desperate or cynical or frightened like the disciples when they were facing the storm. Let us therefore keep awake. Awake to a God who is as mysterious and intimate as a breath, and who governs this world with his word of love, who is sovereign over the raging waters of chaos and death. Let us defy the powers of evil by maintaining our faith in a God of love. Let us choose the way of vulnerable love as followers of Christ. 
It may be completely counterintuitive. It may look even ridiculous. But like the people of Israel in exile, may we stubbornly stick to God's story. The one that begins with goodness and blessing and comes with the promise of everlasting life. Because the stories we tell do matter. Amen.